0: When you heard that first drum beat, surf safari, coming on over the radio, it was exciting. And those, sound, those guitars really cut through. And uh, ironically, I think Murray was responsible for that. <laughs> This is Wyatt here in Nashville, here with my buddy Jason. Hey, everybody. And we're back again with episode four of the Ceylon Podcast. Thanks again for listening in. We're averaging 400 downloads per episode, which is super awesome. So thank you, everybody. It's really, really encouraging. Thanks for your feedback. Thanks for your emails and voicemails. Um, First off, let's get into news. Jason, what do you got for me? I don't know
1: if this counts as news or highly verified rumor, but... I just read online, and I'm sure there'll be a press press release probably the day of the release, but it looks like December 8th. That would be this coming Friday. We're going to get not one, but two new copyright uh, protection releases from the Beach Boys. From what I hear, it's 29 studio outtake tracks from the Wild Honey so kind of like a Sunshine Tomorrow Part 2. So if you didn't get Sunshine Tomorrow that came out over the summer, what are you thinking? That's one of the best compilations I've heard from the band in Absolutely. years. It's it's unbelievable. It rolls. But 29 new studio tracks, and then supposedly hundred, more than 100 live tracks in a separate release called Live Sunshine. So I don't know if those titles are correct, somebody who's in the know should call us email us text us send us a postcard and let me know for real what it's going to be called but i can't wait i'm going to be scouring i think these are going to be digital only no cds for you hard copy fanatics but i think these are going to be digital only releases so i'm going to fire up the the streaming service and the itunes and hopefully get those this week and i'm sure you guys will too
0: that's amazing news I look forward to that
1: another piece of news to add that not only do we have those great copyright um, expiration releases coming out but we have a fantastic new book coming out called Dreamer the making of Dennis Wilson's Pacific Ocean Blue written by the amazing rock author Ken Sharp Um, you can go to his website which is ken-sharp.com uh, and order, or pre-order the book, rather. Um, this book looks amazing. You know, Ken's written a bunch of great books about the Raspberries, Cheap Trick, Eric Carmen, Kiss, Hollow Notes, Elvis, Sly and the Family Stone. I mean, too many bands to list. He's written a bunch of great rock bios and rock books. So I know that coming from him, and I know his all his great work he's done, that this book is going to be a not miss for beach boys and Dennis Wilson fans. So pre-order this book because this is going to be a killer book.
0: Can't wait. All right. So I figure, you know, this week we'll talk about some emails that we've gotten. Um, last week we did some voicemails, so I figured maybe we'll alternate voicemail and email. Um, split it up a little bit but we got some great feedback and some cool insight from our emails Um, I'll start this off with an email from Mark Kennedy it says hi guys enjoyed your latest podcast and inspired me to listen to Barbie again what a knockout vocal performance by Brian according to Jim Murphy author of Becoming the Beach Boys the backing vocalists on that track are most likely Audrey, Carl, Al and possibly Val Poliuto on the bass vocal The backing vocals to What Is A Young Girl Made Of were pre-recorded by a female chorus. Interestingly, Carl can be heard talking to Brian at the end of a stereo mix of the song, which begs the question, was Carl just a spectator or a participant? Frustratingly to us, and I'm sure for Jim, there's no concrete documented evidence that reveals who played on the instrumental tracks or details the vocalists. Looking forward to your next episode. Cheers, Mark.
1: Well, Mark... That is some incredible insight. You've done your digging, just like we've been doing on this early era of the band, and that's pretty fabulous. And I think we talked about that a little bit. I don't know if it was in the last episode, but I know you and I talked about it separately, how that one particular track, the What Is a Young Girl Made Of, definitely sounded to me like it was done years before his vocal was cut. So it makes sense to me that that was indeed a set of studio singers that brian and the guys never had anything to do with but it is interesting that maybe brian just brought carl along for the ride for that day because it Well, if he sang on the other song they probably did him in the same day
0: yeah absolutely okay so next up we got evan marr um, he says, Hey there, love the new podcast, love the Explorers Club. Also, Wyatt's spans Second Saturday is amazing. Ooh. That song, Ariana, is incredible. What a chorus. Just typing in to tell you about my first Beach Boys experience. My parents had a huge red van, not a minivan, but a travel van with four bucket seats. My mom wanted to go to the Christmas tree shop to get some Christmas decorations. Not sure how widespread this chain is, but in upstate New York and on the West Coast, it's one of the bigger we have everything stores. We walked in around together for a while. I was 11 and as soon as I saw the music section, I ran to it, leaving my mom in the dust. I scrounged through the tapes and CDs all the way to the bottom was my first Beach Boys experience waiting for me. Smiley smile. The cover art, the name, the Beach Boys, everything made me want it. The song titles are so intriguing to me. The bin of tapes was huge, not unlike the big bins of CDs and DVDs at any Walmart with the big $5 sign. I begged and pleaded to my mom to get it for me, but there was no price tag on it. And we went to check out, and it turns out the tapes were only 50 cents. So I went to my pockets and spent my first half dollar on the Beach Boys. We got in the car. My mom was very excited to pop in the tape. She knew the Beach Boys in the way that most people did. Her age, born in 58. Just as the surfing stuff, me, I probably knew I get around and surf in USA, but not consciously. I didn't know who the boys were yet. From the first track, my mom instantly didn't recognize any of the sounds. I remember the moment when Fall Breaks Into Winter came on. We had to turn it off. It was too scary. (laughs) I was too afraid. (laughs) Anyway. This is great. This is very poorly written, but this album changed my life, and I always think it's interesting that one of the weirdest Beige Boys albums was my first. Love the Pod, Sail On, Evan.
1: Well, Evan, that is some really far out <laughs> insight. Let me tell yeah. you that. I mean, I remember the first time I listened to smiley smile and it was after it. I had already been indoctrinated with, you know, pet sounds. And before that, you know, all the early stuff. Cause my mom sounds a lot like your mom where she was, you know, big on the hits, the early stuff. So yeah, I can relate from that factor, but man, 50 cents for Smiley Smile. What a bargain. And you got a far out experience out of it and scared your mother. Fantastic.
0: Oh, yeah. Thanks, Evan. That was awesome. All right, next up, we got one from Liam Dell. Hey, guys, big Beach Boys fan here, all the way from the bottom of the world in Dunedin, New Zealand. Whoa. Just want to say you guys are awesome for creating a podcast about the band and your knowledge is super refreshing. Got to see the big man Brian Wilson live in the flesh in Auckland, New Zealand, in the very first show of the Pet Sounds tour. And to quote, she's going bald, really flipped my wig. Not too much else to say except keep going and that you guys have listeners all over the globe. Love and mercy, Liam Dell.
1: That's what we want to hear. We're so excited to be um, able to share with everybody all over the place, all over the world, because that's the glory and the genius of the internet is that we can have fun talking about the greatest rock and roll band from America and share it with everybody across the world so thank you so much for the email and that's pretty awesome that you got to see brian on that tour we got to see him
0: too but you got to see him right at the beginning so amazing yeah so awesome thanks liam appreciate it the next one's from john stebbins the reason they didn't release the song surfer girl for a year and a half is because height morgan controlled the publishing and it wasn't until mid 63 that murray worked out a deal where the publishing income was shared between height and sea of tunes. I've seen the document that was revealed. Thanks for the good podcast vibes, John Stebbins. Three things I want to say about that.
1: First of all, I'm a John Stebbins fan. So if you guys (laughs) don't know that John has written some of the greatest books on Dennis Wilson and on the Beach Boys, one of my favorite books is a book he wrote called The Beach Boys Frequently Asked Questions. So John, if you're listening, send us an email again we need to get you on when we're talking about Dennis because we know your knowledge is great. Um, But secondly, that's amazing. That's that makes a lot of sense that you say that now that the surfer girl was kind of held up in copyright land. I I, I've understood that I've been there myself with one of my tunes. So um, that's pretty crazy though. Um, I'm kind of glad that they waited that long. Aren't you, Wyatt, I mean, the production value on what the song that we know as the big hit is miles beyond what they could have done in the
0: early sessions. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, The early version was pretty rough, and uh, it's for the best that they redid the song uh, properly uh, in 1963 when they had uh, the skill and uh, the vocal harmony blend to really do it justice. Yeah, thanks for the email, John. Great. Okay, our next and last email comes from Paul McNulty. Hi, chaps. Another thumbs up for your excellent podcast here. This time from a UK fan of some vintage. Not quite an original fan, but close. Currently, I'm halfway through The Gary Usher Show, which I think is your best yet. But even from the first episode, I could tell this was going to be good. Thanks, Paul. Given that episode number one was essentially a list show... I was impressed at how insightful it was. You both clearly have a deep knowledge of the subject, but just as importantly, you really communicate. The show works equally well for a long-term BB nerd like me, and I'm sure for the curious new listener, anxious to find out more about this incredible band and their story. So once again, thanks. It was tricky starting out as a new Beach Boys fan in the late 70s and early 80s. There wasn't really much to go on. What's most heartwarming now, I think, is that the tide has really turned. By that I mean it's generally accepted how great Brian Wilson is, how important he and all of the guys were, and how rich, and deep and wide, to coin a phrase, that canon is. I loved these voicemails from guys of 20 or so, talking about how this music made so long ago still connects effortlessly with anybody who cares to listen. Please keep up all the good work. There's always something new to learn about our band, and there's always new guys and gals coming along who will hear I get around or she knows me too well or it's okay and will find themselves wanting to learn more. Now, thankfully, in 2017, there's a lot of places they can go and SailOn is as good as any. Best regards, Paul McNulty.
1: What an incredible email. Um, I really appreciate that. I mean, yeah, this. I mean, that's the reason we started the podcast. I mean, that email nailed it. I mean, we we come we're coming at this we're guys in our mid-30s and have been beach boy fans since we were little kids and a lot of that was passed on from our parents who were original fans so we're really hoping i know that was the goal me and Wyatt talked about and this is a not only for the to introduce someone to the beach boys but also to enrich and bring in the community of the super fans that have been there all along or have just been crazy about the band like we have so I'm so glad that you pick up on all the different levels that we're trying to communicate. And I'm glad that, you know, you're picking up on our good vibrations to be corny, but absolutely. Thank you so much. What a fabulous email. Thank you for listening.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Paul. That was a great email. Um, thanks for all the kind words that everyone said this week. You guys have been really encouraging to us. Um, this is a labor of love and uh, we really Appreciate all the all the kind words really keeps us going and motivated to make a great podcast for you guys and um, Thanks for making us smarter helping us out uh, Correcting us when we're wrong keep doing it appreciate it Um, So last week we had a trivia question and several people wrote in the question was what song was recycled from Muscle Beach Party and there were actually two answers and uh, Josh Carlson sent us a voicemail and got both of those right. Um, the first one was Car Crazy Cutie that the Beach Boys did, and then also the Survivor's tune, which is another Brian Wilson project, the song called Pamela Jean. So thanks, Josh. That's awesome. Way to, way to go.
1: Big Pamela Jean fan right here, let me tell you.
0: All right, so we left off with um, the Beach Boys signing a record deal with... Nick Vinay, and Capitol Records in the summer of 1962. And um, at that point, they spent the rest of the summer playing live shows throughout Southern California. Dennis dropped out of school because he was already suspended. It just made sense. And then Carl and David enrolled in a young professional's high school. Uh, They played some notable shows that summer. July 16th, they played... Uh, Jody Gable's birthday party in Burbank, which was their fan club secretary through 1966. That's pretty cool.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah, what a dream and, come uh, true. Absolutely. I, I bet that was incredible. Yeah. And then on uh, July 27th, they played um, at the Azusa Teen Club, and just happened to be where they were filming the One Man's Challenge documentary, and um, they got lucky and. That was the earliest footage I've been able to find of the Beach Boys. They performed in their Pendleton shirts, um, "Surfin' Safari, and that's, yeah, that's what may, th- many of you have seen online.
1: Yeah, that's the clip that's in a bunch of the documentaries, too, and it yep. looks like it's a movie, so that makes sense that it was for a movie.
2: Let's really have the Azusa Teen Club welcome now for these young fellows from California with their big new hit. Here they are, the Beach Boys with Serpent Safari. <laughs> Come on and supply with me. Come on and supply with me. Early in the morning we'll be starting out. The money's will be coming along. We're loading up the woodies, put the boys inside and heading out singing our song. Come on, baby, wait and for Yeah, I'm gonna take you surfing the bay. Oh, surfing the bay. Taking the I'm gonna take you surfing with all the bay. Well, let's go, surf now Everybody's learning how Come on and with me Come on and
0: in August the boys played their first show with Jan and Dean which would be a long-standing relationship yeah and also in August Brian moved into his first apartment with Bob Norberg Bob and Cherry Bob yeah. He and his girlfriend, Cheryl, started a little group called Bob and Sherry, which uh, Brian worked with on a few occasions that we'll get to eventually as well. So, with a deal in place, the boys had to get into the studio and record an album. And over the next month or two, they did just that. And the album was Surf and Safari. It came out October 29th. And it was credited to Nick Vinay as producer, although Brian and Murray also producing at the time um and gary usher to an extent Uh, and it peaked at 32 on the u.s chart which is really awesome and uh the cover was that iconic photo shoot at paradise cove where they uh rented a ford model a and they had their pendleton shirts on it looked like they were going on a real surfing safari yeah which is of course the first track of the album
2: Let's go surfing now, everybody's learning how, come on a safari with me, come on a safari with me. Early in the morning, we'll be starting out, some honeys will be coming along. We're loading up our woody with our boards inside, and heading out singing our song. Some come on baby, wait and see Yes, i
0: So of course as we've talked about before surf and safari was recorded at western studios back in april 1962. it was released as a single with 409 as the a side but surf and safari peaked at number 14 on the billboard hot 100. um it was their big smash hit um and uh as i said it was the b-side originally but a dj in phoenix decided to flip it over and uh, that was where the craze started. Uh, and actually, Detroit, funny enough, was the major market for the breakout success, according to Billboard. It was actually released again yeah. in 1970 um, on Trip Records,
1: it was a b-side of Surfin'. In 1970, I have a feeling that's probably the other version, not the Capitol version. Yeah,
0: it's definitely the World Pacific yeah. version. Um, it's kind of bizarre
1: copyright expiration sounds like to
0: me yeah I'd bet that as well it was also um, the inspiration for the Apple browser Safari if you think about it surfing the web surfing Safari something I didn't ever pick up on
1: yeah I didn't I didn't know that until we did this research and that's really I never thought about that (laughs) I did
0: not either that's pretty amazing
1: this is definitely in my top 50 favorite Beach Boy songs I love this
0: song yeah, if I'm giving this song a rating, 1 to 10, I'd give it a 6 out of 10. Okay, I'm going to go
1: higher. I'm going to give it an 8 just because... Nice. I'm giving it an 8 not based on composition, although I think it's a very good composition. Mike loves lyrics especially. But I'm giving it an 8 as this is the first Beach Boy song that it, that gets close to the sound that they're known for the most. Um I feel like this is the one that really established them as a national act. Surfing was cool, and I like surfing, but and Safari—it's—it's it's really to me, and I think they've always, you know, put in their history. This is the really the start of it, the things really kind of starting to fire on all cylinders for the band. So for that alone, I will put it high to the top of my charts
0: at number eight. Alright, so track two, we have County Fair, written by Brian Wilson and Gary Usher. Recorded at Capitol Studios September 6th, 1962. This was released as the B-side of Ten Little Indians. Uh, This melody would also be recycled for the song I Do, which was performed by the Castells. Gary Usher is quoted. In early 1962, we were in San Bernardino for a Beach Boys show at a fair. Brian and I liked the happy scene of the county fairs. We picked up on the spirit of the rides and the girls, and at one of our daily writing sessions, we were sitting there and we wrote county fair in about 10 minutes. Uh, this also features Nick Vinay as the fair barker and Andrea Carlo, who was David Mark's aunt, even though she was only 17, as the girlfriend. And she actually had a huge crush on Brian. And ended up dating dennis because brian was super shy
1: of course he got all the ladies
0: also brian plays the fun little organ solo on this song yep
1: trademark brian organ playing for sure
2: Tried again and again, but I just didn't do so well Can you believe it now? Up walked the fella and he tapped me on the shoulder Said, I can win your girl a prize So he flexed all his muscles and he knocked the bell up in the sky
0: at the end is so awesome i think yeah the big strong guy knocked a bell in the sky took my girl and my doggy away it is just a killer line to me <laughs> i don't know why um but yeah i give this song a six out of ten i actually really like it um just so you know my rating system is basically one being the worst beach boy song ever and 10 being the best
1: now you make me want to change my rating that's your rating system no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding um i'm gonna go five out of ten i yeah. think this is yeah i give it mo- i give it the five because it's actually a pretty creative and actually strange little tune he definitely put this tune into a formula for some of the early records stretching out to even the summer days and summer nights record with uh, amusement parks usa and things of that nature which we'll get to later and so this is kind of the beginning of that one particular style of tune that brian and mike would write so uh, it's a five for me
0: i also heard that it was inspired by the song palisades park which uh the beach boys would end up covering like 14 years later amazing so pretty cool oh yeah okay up next we have ten little indians This is credited to Brian Wilson and Gary Usher. Recorded at Capitol Studios on August 8th. It was released as a single on November 26th, and it actually did really well. It peaked at number 49 on the U.S. Billboard 100, and it also did really well in Sweden. I think the idea for this came from the Johnny Preston song, Running Bear, which was a big hit in 1960. Another kind of gimmicky, you know, early 60s thing. You know, they weren't sure if the surfing thing was going to pan out, so I think they were just kind of loading up their deck with all types of gimmicky, silly songs that kids would eat up, and it actually did really well. The seventh little ninja took her over to his TV. The eighth little ninja tried to give her love. The ninth
2: little ninja said, You're my kimasabe. The squad didn't like him at all.
0: What's your rating, Wyatt? I mean, I don't really like this song. I gave it a three out of ten. I think it's just very boring and safe. Um, I kind of dig the guitar solo, just you know, but I, I there's not really much else going on in this song. It's kind of silly, and you can never get away with it these days. It's kind of uh, politically incorrect. Yep, I'm gonna go
1: with a two. Um, I just. Not a huge fan of Ten Little Indians. Um I know they've never played it live. It's one of their only top fifty singles they've probably never played. Um that's kind of crazy. Yep. And you know, it's just not I mean, Running Bear is a way better song. The tune it that, is. The tune that they didn't that they tried covering later. So um I don't feel like this was a great experiment. But it's strange. No. it's strange that Capitol put this out as the follow up single to Surf and Safari. On to a Lug.
0: Track four, a Lug, written by Brian Wilson, Gary Usher, and Mike Love. Mike Love was added as a writer in the 90s when he filed that big lawsuit. It was recorded at Capitol Studios on August 8th, and uh, Nick Vinay was originally concerned about this song because he didn't want people to get the wrong idea and think it was about drinking beer because that would be really, really bad because this band is for kids. Um, in a 1962 interview, Brian said that he wanted this song to be the follow-up single to Surf and Safari, which I think it would have been a better single than Ten Little Indians, but they're both pretty silly.
2: Brian's still glued to the radio, Louie's looking out the rear window, the guys got around round to order and fries, but noot beer is my best buy. Give me some noot jay, give me some Chick-a-luck, Go. chick-a-luck, chick-a-luck, chick-a-luck. Mug,
0: mug, Our good friend Dominic Priore says... This song is filled with great bass vocals from Mike and a fun chorus. Just the kind of record that could have been a hit had Capitol followed Brian's instincts. It also has a hot guitar solo, and the lyric really cues you into the personalities of the individual Beach Boys.
1: Well, um, I'm going to give you my rating first on this one. Uh, I'm putting this one up at five. Um, This would have been a way better single choice than um, Ten Little Indians. Because Ten Little Indians, and this is my opinion, Ten Little Indians and chuggalug are both kind of novelty songs and chuggalug is way more indicative of the beach boys personality as we just pointed out there in the facts about the tune um it's got great and i do agree with uh, dominic i love the bass vocals in this that's what makes this tune um you know it's not a marvel of music by any means but for this album it's a number, it's a five out
0: of 10. Yeah. I'm going to go with a four out of 10. Um, kind of like what you said. I mean, it's just really basic. It's like a two chord song at this point. It's like, they're just kind of treading water. There's no real advancement here in, um, Brian's composition. And, um, the lyrics are pretty cool at times, but other than that, I mean, it's kind of a throwaway song. And, um, I do like the little Brian organ part that he does. Those are always kind of fun. Okay, moving on. Next up, we've got track five on side one. Little girl, you're my Miss America. And uh, it was recorded at Capitol Studios, September 5th, 1962. This was first recorded by Dante and his friends. This was Dennis Wilson's first lead vocal. And I think that's kind of the strength of this track. It's very cool to hear young Dennis singing lead. Little girl, you're in my dreams. You're
2: my Miss America. You're so sweet, you're so fine. Do you wanna you be mine? Everybody knows it. My Miss America. My Miss America. My Miss America. Blue eyes, blonde hair. Like a movie star. Little girl with heart
0: of hope. So what's your rating on this one, Wyatt? I'm going to go with a 4 out of 10. Not one of my favorites, but it is cool to me to hear Dennis sing lead at such a young age. He's got a lot of character in his voice, and it's very sweet. And it's obvious that even he, as the least musical of the family, was still very gifted and very talented
1: well I'm locking in with you at four on this one Um, the things I will note that I'll always I actually of all the tunes on this album this is one of the ones that always sticks out to me because of Dennis's vocal I love his vocal and uh, it's got a really interesting young innocent delivery and it kind of establishes I've always thought about this tune that oh yeah we'll have Dennis sing this song because He's already getting all the ladies' attention at our gig, so he's the ladies' man. Let's let him sing. You know, I could see Dennis as a young guy as the beauty pageant judge or something crazy like that. So um, totally get why he did this tune. Um, So yeah, 4 out of 10. Weird little cover, cool vocal.
0: Okay, up next we got 409, which we talked about a little bit in our Gary Usher episode. This was written by Brian, Mike and Gary and it was recorded back in April. This was released as a single in June. Uh it peaked at number 76. You know, this was the A-side of the single, but the B-side Surf and Safari ended up being the hit. Um Gary sketched out the lyrics for this song on the way to an auto parts store with Brian and it would go on to become the national anthem of drag racing. Gary was a big drag racer himself and uh the 409 was the hottest car at the time and gary really wanted one and mike wrote the intro part the she's real fine my 409 and he also wrote the backing vocal the giddy up giddy up part which is also kind of a play on horsepower get it giddy up
2: When I take it to the drag, she really shines. Giddy up, giddy up, four oh nine. She always turns in the fastest time. Giddy up, giddy up, four oh nine. My four speed dual quad positive drags in four oh nine.
0: So the Chevy engine noises were actually recorded by Brian. At his home that was Gary out in the driveway burning out in his Chevy and uh, it was like 1 a.m. and all the neighbors woke up and Murray was really furious and love it you know it's just a whole scene but it's a cool story Um, so good Gary was actually in the studio for this according to Chuck Britz the engineer I think he was actually singing on this song and uh, he had to scram when Murray arrived at the studio because he wasn't allowed to be there
1: yeah. One thing I read to add to that um, about Gary is a lot of the time uh, what would happen is Brian would go into the uh, control room, the board, and get things sounding the way he thought it should sound. And then yep. and a lot of the times Gary would be there, especially on this album sessions, and Gary and Brian would come in and get things going. And when they knew Murray was coming in, Gary would like hide. Um, or he would get kicked yeah. out. But yeah, and Murray would try to come in and like change all of Brian's settings, and then Brian would walk back in and say, "What just happened?" So it was kind of like a, a comedy <laughs> of errors. Real, it was just just ridiculous. Um, and I've just I just read some stuff that basically said, kind of even referencing what you were mentioning early on that, uh, you know, they credit Vinay as the producer, but Brian was there getting the sounds, talking like you were saying. So
0: but I just think it's funny that Gary had to hide. So what's your rating for four Oh nine? Well, to me, it's one of the stronger tracks on the record. I give it a six out of 10.
1: I'm going to go, I'm going to go right there. I'm going to again, lock in with you six out of 10. I think this is the second best song on the record. Um, for me, uh, and I know that sounds stereotypical, but, um, man, it's just another, it's an iconic beach boy song. It's, it's the first big, it really it's the is. first big car song so um then as we will talk about at nauseum on this podcast <laughs> uh the two biggest things the beach boys were known for for the first few years of their existence were cars and surfing
0: and speaking of surfing on side two now track one a song we've talked about a good bit already um surfing oh yeah so written by brian wilson and mike love recorded at world pacific back in october of 1961 a year ago at this point um obviously released as a single and peaked at number 75. it was their first single uh, it's the only song on this record that features al jardine he played stand up bass and sang on this song and uh he obviously left the group before this album was recorded sped up slightly for this LP. I think that was Murray's idea. One of those make them sound younger things. Um, strange though that he did it on this song and not on Surf and Safari or 409. But uh, moving on, this song was uh, recorded again by the Beach Boys in 1992 on that Summer in Paradise album. Shoot. Man, can't wait to get to that one. That'll be probably years from now at this rate you know I give this song a 4 out of 10
1: I'm gonna go one step higher go 5 out of 10 it's the uh, the shot heard round Hawthorne um, cause it was a local hit haha get it um but uh anyway it's uh, you know it's what started it all the lyrics are really cool um and this sped up version is strange and you can tell it's the go- now you go listen to it anyone who's never thought about that kind of thing before and, and listen to it and say oh yeah it sounds a little little uh, like when your record players playing the record a little too fast so um, yeah surfing
2: mm-hmm. Surfing is the only life, the only way for me Now come on pretty baby and surf with me yeah.
0: Okay up next we got Heads You Win, Tails I Lose Another Wilson Usher song This was recorded at Capitol on September 6th And according to Gary Usher this song resulted from their efforts to turn contemporary expressions into songs. So probably written pretty quickly. Um, I like the intro, and I like the, the chorus, how it's kind of like that stop and go thing.
2: Had you in, tells I lose.
0: Had you in, tells I lose bad news. If we
2: were playing cards, we'd be the one to deal. We'd play with loaded dice and fix a roulette wheel pick at the races like I've never seen and then you make me pay off like a slot machine head you win
0: tells I lose head you win tells I lose bad lose. you know even though it's kind of silly I, I enjoy it I give it a 5 out of 10
1: yeah I, I'm gonna go 4 out of 10 I, I do like the opening line to this song is kind of a mouthful for Mike Love to sing um but it's pretty interesting. It's it's like almost, it's very conversational in a way. So, um, and I like the, I really do like the part in the song about um, when he talks about if you were the, if we were playing cards, I can't remember the exact line. If we're playing cards, you'd be the dealer or whatever. So, I mean, you know, it's definitely a song about someone who's always looking to get a, an upper hand on his
0: buddy. So it's kind of an interest. it's a weird, it's a weird little tune. Yeah, it is. Okay, up next we got Summertime Blues. Obviously, this is a cover originally by Eddie Cochran. It was recorded at Capitol Studios on September 5th. And this was actually Carl's first lead vocal. It's him and David kind of harmonizing the whole way through.
2: I'm gonna raise a buzz, I'm gonna raise a holler. About work it all summer just to try to earn a dollar. Every time I call my baby and I get a date The boss says, don't die son, you gotta work late Sometimes I wonder what I'm gonna 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 do But there ain't no cure for the summertime blues.
0: This wasn't released as a single in America, but it actually charted in the Philippines in 1966. Isn't that bizarre? That's really weird. So I did
1: not know that about Carl um, until we did this research, and that is pretty interesting because I always thought it was, you know, Pom Pom Playgirl like we were told. Um, But I guess they don't count it as a lead vocal because it's a duet.
0: Sure. Sure. But yeah, I mean, it could be considered a duet. I guess they're singing harmony the whole way through. It's kind of Everly Brothers style. So, you know, we may be still right. pom Pom Playgirl is his kind of first real solo yeah. lead.
1: Um, my rating for this, uh, I'm also going to give it a four. Um, just because I really like... I'm a big summertime a blues fan of the original. I love the original tune. And I, I mean, I like when my favorite band does a song I really like so uh i'm I'm on that alone I'm giving it a four all
0: right well brace yourselves because I'm giving this one a two out of ten there we go um I'm not a fan I like the song okay but it's just super lazy to me it is it sort of fits the aesthetic of the band you know and the kind of the surfing theme but I'm just not a big fan of this this version or um their performance. So there you go. Being real with you. All right. Moving on. Moving on to Cuckoo Clock, written by Wilson and Usher. Again, recorded at Capitol Studios on September 6th. This was a quirky little song that they wrote about Murray's pet mina bird. Um, kind of an right. interesting little lyric about this couple trying to kind of make out on the couch, I guess. And uh, the bird keeps interrupting them <laughs> with
2: cuckoo
0: This is actually Brian Wilson's first released lead vocal. Isn't that cool? It is cool and very weird. Yeah, it is weird, and I actually really like this song. You know, in the grand scheme of this album, I give it a six out of ten. Uh, I'll go.
1: Uh, I'll go four out of ten. <laughs> um, I mean, I like. I like the. Uh, I mean, I like his lead vocal. I'm not going to, you know, that's always awesome. He sounds awesome, man. He he never disappoints. It's so cool. In this era, Brian does not disappoint. However, this is such a goofy song. Um, (laughs) I mean, it really is. It's super weird, and it being about Murray's Minor Bird makes it way funnier to me now thinking about that. So I'm going to stick to my
0: guns, though, with four. Yeah. Just to goofy little song but it is a lot of fun all right up next we have moondog and this my friends is the first edition of beach boys conspiracies conspiracy time yeah so there's some mystique and intrigue Surrounding this song and this recording so it was originally recorded by the gamblers which coincidentally featured a young Bruce Johnston So the guitarist and writer Derry Weaver was listed as a musician on the surf and safari contract Although many have claimed that it was only Nick Vinay himself Using Derry Weaver's name so that he could get paid for his performances and that he actually played the guitar on this song. What else do you know about this, Jason? So Vinay suggested
1: in an interview, I don't know when the interview was conducted, but he suggested in an interview that Weaver had died in a car crash. And as you said, Vinay used his name as a front to write and perform in the studio on records he was working on. So I did some research (laughs) and some digging and Mr. Vinay's claims I feel and I'd love to get some feedback on this from people but I feel they are bogus
0: claims yeah
1: I read that Derry basically kind of disappeared from the music scene after his days doing the instrumental hits he was in a few bands I don't have all the specifics on all those different groups but I read that there has been interviews and and things with him that he did not pass away until 2013. Yeah. So, Vinay definitely was trying to cover his tracks and tried to essentially fake another person's death. Yep. This is very shady and very strange. Super strange. And I'd- And I'd love to hear some more insight on this. I'm definitely going to go down the rabbit hole on this topic if I can. So any of you surf rock fanatics out there who are you know know all about the uh, uh, the gamblers and these other groups from this era that know about Derry Weaver and his place in that scene, please fill us in. I'm fascinated.
0: It's very fascinating. Very interesting developments. Um, I do really enjoy this song though. I mean, yeah, for what it's worth, I mean, it's fun and it's got uh, a cool lead guitar part, no matter who it is that's actually playing it. I think it's Carl, but... Um, You know, you got Nick Vinay doing the Howls, which um, are really cool. And he did that on the original as well. I can definitely agree on that. Um, And this is, you know, thought by many to be the first surf rock song of all time, which um, is pretty awesome as well. What a claim.
1: We're going to get some backlash on that statement, I'm sure.
0: Well, I'd love to have it. Bring it on. Give us all the backlash. Um, I give it a strong four out of ten.
1: I'll go with you, 4 out of 10. It's not It's not as good as the original version of Moondog. The original version of Moondog has some amazing musicianship going on on that track. It's some hot playing, as we said earlier. Um, but, I mean, the Beach Boys version is also very cool. So 4 out of 10 for me, and included in that conspiracy there, makes it even more interesting.
0: Yeah, so... In closing, if you or anyone you know has any information on Derry Weaver, give us a call at the Beach Boys Conspiracy Hotline. That number is six one five six oh six three eight eight seven and let us know what you know. Alright, so the last track is The Shift, written by Brian Wilson and Mike Love. Recorded at Capitol on August eighth. So this is a kind of a simple, kind of a twelve bar blues song, but it's got a cool little kind of play on the title where it shifts up and down between two different keys. And while it's not a masterful key change that, you know, Brian Wilson would later become known for, it's actually a pretty neat little trick and it's the first of its type, I think, for Brian.
2: Put your girl a shift And she'll look real fine Wearing a shift And it's just too much If it's like love, And drives you out of your mind Wearing a shift And it's just too much She'll bother with her shift on And we'll have a good time Wearing a shift Wearing a shift
0: That being said, the song is kind of silly And in my opinion It's like one of Mike's worst lyrics But I give it a 3 out of 10 Yeah,
1: 3 out of 10 for me I think all the Key shifting is really neat, but outside of that, it's a pretty flimsy jam.
0: Yeah, and you know, on the face, um, I think a lot of these songs are really silly, and um, they come across as being kind of childish and trivial. But I know David Marks is quoted as saying that even though the lyrics and and subjects are kind of uh, childish, that Brian was 100% serious about all of these songs, that he didn't take any of them, you know, less seriously than the other. So, um, you know, that just shows how professional he was right off the bat, especially as a producer. Um, So I always, I always thought that was a cool quote and I always, you know, made me appreciate these records a little bit more.
1: It's interesting you say that, uh, that I've read that same quote um, from uh, David Marks and, I mean, you know, I feel like Brian and I'm sure the other guys to a lesser extent, but Brian certainly was looking at making this album for big time Capitol Records as hey, you know, this is the beginning of our big shot. We got to knock it out of the park no matter what we're recording. And I've I've always sensed that what I call heyday Brian Wilson was the ultimate producer, performer, total perfectionist, totally knew how to work with his players totally knew how to work with his singers and uh i mean this is evident i mean you and i both listened back to those unsurpassed masters tapes this week and you can hear it um you can hear a lot of goofing off by everybody but you can also hear you know even on these weird little tunes brian just you know he's the head coach he's in there
0: yeah man absolutely he's the dude uh, so there is one more song that we should talk about, a song that didn't make the record, um, called Land Ahoy.
2: I've been overseas for almost a year Anytime now precious land should appear I've been away from my lovers so long Uh,
0: They recorded it on September 6th and um, they held it back and eventually reworked it into the song Cherry Cherry Coop, which was on the Little Deuce Coop album. which I love. I love that version better than this version, but this is still really cool, and I give it a 7 out of 10, actually, which is higher than anything else on this record. I'm going to go
1: like 6 out of 10 as well. I think this is a, a lot better than the a lot of these tunes that they chose for the album. However, um, I'm much more partial to Cherry Cherry Coop, which we will talk about later. Um, so in hindsight, I'm glad they saved it.
0: Yeah, I agree, because Cherry Cherry Coop is one of my favorite early Beach Boys songs. And uh, that's the Surf and Safari album, plus a bonus track. So there you go. I think our ratings seem a little low um, looking at them now, but just remember that they're on the scale of worst to best of all-time Beach Boys songs. So,
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think, you know, and to take into account, everyone, we're looking at these albums from a historical perspective and we're, you know, balancing these ratings on stuff that's, you know, things to come. So um, yeah, I'm right there with you. And I still stand by my eight for Surf and Safari because that's an important record.
0: Absolutely. So while we're at it, why don't we give the album a overall rating? Um, I'm going to give it a four out of 10. I think it's one of the weakest Beach Boys albums of the 60s. And um, it should be. I mean, it's their first album, and they've got Nowhere to Go But Up.
1: Um, It's historically important, but as I gave a
0: majority of these songs, I'm going four out of ten. Alrighty. Looks like that's it for Surf and Safari. Thanks for joining us, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Next week... We are going to be talking all things Roger Christian. If you don't know, you're going to find out a lot real quick. All right, so as always, hit us on the email, saleonpodcast at gmail.com. Hit us on the voicemail, 615 606 3887. Check us out on the web at saleonsounds.com. You can also check out our tour dates for our Sail on Beach Boys Tribute Band on that site. We're playing a ton of gigs next year, so we'd love to see some of you guys out there. Let us know if you're coming. And then, of course, music by Will C. Thanks, Will. www.willcmusic.com We'll see you next time. Sail on, sailors.